Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. Texas will will look back and be like, I don't know why we did this. Pete Thamel. The days of Ohio State carrying the freight for Purdue and Clemson and Florida State carrying the freight for Pitt and Syracuse are going to dwindle. With SI's Pat Forty. Horses' names are eternal. If they're bad in the 1890s, they're bad today. <laughs> Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Welcome to the pod week zero, baby. We got games this week. Five on Saturday. Plus, some, I'm sure some uh, lower division games, right? Any of those? I don't even know. know. For one, I mean, it doesn't even matter if Central Arkansas is playing because we got actual FBS games. Well, I'm going to hunt down every random game we can talk about (laughs) Wednesday. I'm sure you will. Don't let Nathan Brown and those Central Arkansas Bears just escape from your memory path. They were our salvation last year. (laughs) They were. They came through when we needed them. But, you know, you could say their their time of maximum utility has passed. (laughs) (laughs) Well. We, we salute you, Central Arkansas, for being there when no one else was. <laughs> True. Hey, Central uh, Arkansas, yes. you up? You up? Oh, they were up last year. They were up. We love them because when you have a college football podcast and they are about to cancel the entire freaking season, a year ago, we're like, uh, and, you know, it's a lot of bit of like, wow, the SEC was never going to cancel. Oh, they were kind of like, there was oh. definitely like. Yeah. Discussions. It was all thought of like once one went, they'd all go. They'd all quit. And they probably might. They might have had the Big Ten not just gone so early for no reason. Like if if they had all made the decision together, we might not have had a season. The best thing that happened was the Big Ten just jumping the gun. Yeah. And then everybody else saying, wait a minute, do we have to? And then, yeah. And really, the Big 12 put the brakes on everything. Why, like, why are we making this decision now? That was a big part mm-hmm. of it. And then yeah. a little more info got out. And, but it was far closer. And there were a lot of people in the SEC and ACC when you were talking to them that were like, I don't think we're going to have a season. I think we're canceling. And, and I mean, it was yeah. very tight. Uh, I'm sure hindsight's now like, we always knew it would go, <laughs> it would go fine. But like, you just think back a year. You have no idea. And unfortunately, we're going to talk a little COVID later. Still Still with us. Can't freaking believe it. But first, let's uh, let's get to the Alliance, of course. Alliance talk, just so Sully can play the Darth Vader song. (laughs) Still more talk of this 
ACC Big Ten Pac-12 Alliance could be coming in the next week or two, an announcement. I have not been able to ascertain exactly what this thing is. I don't know if anyone knows. Pete, do you have any idea what the alliance is other than scheduling and governance, I've heard, including like all the way down to the Olympic sports and things like that? This is what I've been able to, to to glean from calling around on this. The one part that's for sure going to go through is the governance part, which if our listeners are nodding off when we say governance, I don't I don't blame them. It basically is going to be a voting block to prevent the SEC from being like, let's have 100 scholarships. Let's change amateurism rules. It is those three leagues tr in, in their presidents, really, where a lot of this stuff uh, gets momentum, trying to establish some standards and maybe slow the sprint towards professionalism that we've seen in the last year. It's to try to keep some of these evolutions under control a bit. In, in my mind, if all it does end up being is some kind of governance structure. I really think it would have best been like a group text between the three commissioners <laughs> as opposed to an actual like, let's trot it out and leak it and try to throw a parade. Because I really think that you have Kevin Warren in year two, George Klyovkov and Jim Phillips basically in year one. And this would be the first major quote unquote win of all of their tenures. I just don't really know how big of a win it is if it doesn't involve if for Jim Phillips, it doesn't involve getting out of the ACC contract with ESPN, which it will not. It will clearly not. Then that's not a win. Now, Jim Phillips could get up with a win this week with the Comcast thing, which is which is on which is on the cusp, getting the ACC network some extra exposure, getting his league some extra revenue. That's a big step. Quite frankly, a step Larry Scott bungled for uh, countless years. But these three doing it to me. My questions go to the Big Ten. Why are you partnering with inferior leagues? And by doing that, there's really two reverberations. One is you're solidifying the SEC as the top league and one that you're chasing as opposed to sort of just being a, a, a sliver below it. And then two, you're really just putting a foot on the Big 12's throat. Like if this is just a governance alliance, what, what do you leave the Big 12 out of it for? So I really think the upper middle class is being established by this. Could there be some scheduling overlay? Sure. But that comes down to this. Does Clemson want it? Does Ohio State want it? And does USC want it? Because the era of these big leagues is really going to be superseded by the era of big brands. And if you were going to do some kind of scheduling alliance, it's not, as we've talked about, to link Oregon State and Duke to play football, right? It's to get the, to, to squeeze a little extra revenue out of some big time non-league matchups between the Buckeyes, the Wolverines, Clemson, Oregon, USC, et cetera. But why would those schools, if I were at those schools and, and I've talked to people at those schools, there's got to be some skepticism that like, what, what are we all, what are we all joining hands and singing Kumbaya when some of us are clearly above the level of others? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you that I think this could ultimately be not much as it stands right now. I mean, we'll see what it progresses towards, but the, if this is just a voting block kind of thing, then okay, there you know you may go to the NCAA convention and and see some some intrigue when it comes to who's voting on what from a bylaw standpoint. Nobody cares about that. I mean, we barely care about it, and we cover this stuff. So you know, I don't think that that's going to be any sort of transformational thing. 
Uh, if it does lead to some scheduling changes, fine. Again, I'm, I don't care all that much. Uh, I, I think that they, going back to the, this falls into the category, Pete, you said, I mean, they need a win. They need to look like they are doing something. They have been, you know, stepped on by the SEC here. And they're, they're, the response can't just be, okay, it's got to be, the, you know, there has to be some, some level of response here. As for why the Big Ten maybe is getting involved in this, I, I mean, I think that there's general legitimate animosity between the Big Ten and the SEC, between those member institutions and probably in the league offices as well. You know, and so I think that, that there's a feeling of like, okay, you've just, you've made this act of aggression. Like last year when the Big Ten made their act of aggression to cancel football. Well, the SEC took that was took great umbrage. Now I think the Big Ten is taking great umbrage at what the SEC has done with adding uh, Texas and Oklahoma. So you, I mean, you could take a great umbrage by yourself, or you could join with other people in taking great umbrage. So I, I, I wonder if that's part of what's at play here. I don't think this fixes anything. I don't think it changes much. We'll see. You know, could this evolve into something more? Yeah, absolutely. But for now, I think this is. Let's make a show that we are at least not very happy with the SEC and we're going to do what we can to stand in the way of any sort of SEC takeover of college football. So this is how it's been two parts on this. That's, that's how what I've heard. And this again, you have all you have so many schools in this alliance. So what may be the thought process at one school or even one conference or even one part of one conference is not the entire thing. That's I mean, this is a weird thing. The scheduling alliance is sort of, if you're those top teams, it's like, what do we have to lose anyway? Like this year, Ohio State's playing Oregon. Michigan's playing Washington. Call it an alliance or call it how we're doing things. What's the difference, right? So, and and quite honestly, uh, and I, I mean, uh, Ohio State has a Washington series coming up as well. Uh, they also have a Texas one and a Notre Dame. I mean, uh, Notre, so Notre Dame's sort of part in there. They have an Alabama coming up. But you get in on that. Michigan and Penn State really are scheduling weak in their non-conference in the next few years. Penn State's in the middle of an Auburn one, but like like 2023, well, I guess they got a home and home with West Virginia. I mean, you they, then they have Delaware and UMass. In 2024, they got West Virginia, Bowling Green, Kent State. I got to tell you, the 2024 Penn State at West Virginia game, boy, that's, holy cow. <laughs> I want to start increasing the, the bourbon uh, reserves already. 2025, they've got an open date, basically. they got Nevada and Villanova. I mean, Penn State's not exactly out there killing it. So if it's like, all right, we now have to have to schedule a high-level team in these others, so what? Um, the one thing I have heard, and I don't know if you guys have, is the, the biggest fear to me that's out there is the SEC grabbing Clemson and Florida State. Now, it's not imminent. There was a report once that this was going to happen. It was not happening. That was garbage made up thing. But if you look at what would the SEC do next to really destabilize college football, they can't, they really can't get Ohio State and Michigan or Ohio State and Penn State. There's, we've talked about this as a $10 billion academic research uh, conglomeration in the Big Ten. The number of, the way the schools run, the students, all the alums, it just, it doesn't make sense for those schools. Ohio State is not bailing on all of that as their academic reputation continues to grow, and they've done an incredible job, Ohio State, academically over the last 20 years, 
just because we want, we're not Texas. This is going to be like, we're not getting good enough football recruits. We got to get in on this SEC thing. Like, well, Oklahoma's getting good enough recruits. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I don't know, man. There's not a lot of fear of that. And there's really not that much fear that USC is just going to make some end run. Right. But culturally, academically, geographically, it's kind of a no-brainer for Clemson and Florida State. If they just sat there and said, we want to do it, you can, I mean, it makes a lot more sense for those two schools. Now, you have to get Florida involved and stuff, all that. But this is a way for the Big Ten to help prop up the ACC and help in some way maybe prevent that down the road. And that's one way it's explained to me. Again, this is long-term stuff. There was nothing imminent. There's not a hey, do this or we're going, none of that. But you could certainly see if you look at the cards, all right, maybe maybe that's where we're at risk here. But mainly it's like, what's the? who cares about the scheduling? You know, maybe we don't play SEC teams, which I think would be a shame, but we can still play in the SEC footprint by playing ACC teams. If there is going to be scheduling repercussions, like if, if they decide we're not going to play with the SEC, then that's that's a huge repercussion for the ACC because they have all of those rivalry games that we've discussed, uh, specifically SEC East teams, and those would I be doubt really that would go away. Those aren't going away. That that would be impossible. I think I, to get rid I, of. no way those are going away. No, I, I just think that right there and there, you 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 would fracture whatever alliance may exist. Uh, so you know, if, again, if you if you want to create these other games between your three conferences, fine. Those Again, th- those largely exist other than the fact that the ACC really doesn't play the Pac-12 or the Big Ten, but but they can start, and okay, fine. Probably we get better games out of that. I still just struggle to think, like, why they're operating on behalf, why these schools would want to be operating on behalf of the whole as opposed to the individual, and why the leagues would not be operating to cater to the big brands as opposed to catering to each other. Like I, I get the the theory of the Alliance, but I, I just, I I'm still a little bit perplexed. Like if you're the ACC, I, I do think we're going to enter an era of, of, of unequal revenue sharing again, as, as we move forward. I think it's the only way that these, that these leagues can survive how they do that. I don't know. And is that the best way for a league to survive long term? Well, the Big 12 showed us it really wasn't. But I think the the days of Ohio State carrying the freight for Purdue and Clemson and Florida State carrying the freight for Pitt and Syracuse are going to dwindle. And I think they almost have to dwindle because that's going to be the only way you can tell Clemson and Florida State this is why you need to stay here and not go chase bigger money potentially in the uh, in in the SEC. The allure of the ACC, outside of whatever financial benefits they can get, is just the easier path to the playoff. And you you should roll out of bed at Florida State and Clemson right now and go ten and two. Just roll out of bed. Like and obviously Florida State, their their offensive line is still just horrific, and they're still burying out of the atrophy of the end of Jimbo Fisher and Willie Taggart. And I think Mike Norvell still is the right guy there, but there is going to be a, a, a battleship move to get them back to where they're on automatic double digit win team. Clemson has it all rolling and we'll talk about it more next week. I don't think Clemson is what they were when they thumped Alabama for the title a couple of years ago in San Jose, but I still think they're far ahead of the rest of that league. 
if you're going to make holistic league decisions going forward, they need to be to cater to USC, Oregon, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, a pinch. Basketball still matters in that league some. Like, like those are the like the Big Ten. If if Jim Delaney ever had his druthers, he would have got North Carolina in the Big Ten. It, a lot of people in the Big Ten viewed that eastern flank expansion of Rutgers and Maryland as a way to go down 95 and and take over some of those really I mean I think North Carolina is the ninth most populous state in the country Virginia like, North Carolina that's yes, what they Virginia, wanted North Carolina the, the academics are there sure the old, that, yes. that was the Jim Delaney dream right at least in theory let me ask you guys this okay so I mean I understand what you're saying Pete and why but is that a good thing or is this are we just further stripping off layers in college football so that only 15 schools matter even more than they ever mattered before. And I mean, you can make the case that's all that matters now, but would it be a good thing if these leagues all just say, well, we appreciate you being around since 1933, Mississippi State and Mississippi, but you really don't matter anymore. And if in the Big Ten we say, you know what, Purdue, you've been here since 1901, but guess what? You don't matter. And the ACC, and maybe that's the way it should be. But I just, again, I just think we are playing toward a concentration of, of Google, IBM, Microsoft, Amazon in college sports here. And maybe that's just the way it's, it's inevitable. I don't know. Got to keep them happy. And so giving a little back if you're if you're one of these desperate schools. I mean, what 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 route do you have? Kansas and Kansas State, and I, they were all willing to, to renegotiate with Texas. Because now you're yeah. sitting there going, well, we're getting a lot. I don't know. I mean, look, it's always been part of the the question is why Ohio State has all Ohio State brings way more value than Purdue in terms of sports. But again, there's more to at least that league than just football. And sure, uh, you, you know what they're good at at Purdue engineering, right. like really good. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's. And, I mean, and to, yeah. to, to the people running these campuses, that that's important. So there's something to be said by that. I would just say with this, Pete, like, I agree. If I'm Clemson, I ain't joining the SEC. But if I, I said, why are you joining if you're Texas? Yeah. <laughs> Oklahoma is the, we just said last week, more money is on Oklahoma to win the national championship at BetMGM than any other team. If they are in the SEC West right now, that isn't the case. They aren't even getting to Atlanta. They're an, like, why would you, I have ne- I do not, uh, Texas will, will look back and be like, I don't know why we did this. I think it was, a, I said the same thing when Nebraska left the big 12 and I got it. They got more money and they got away from the chaos. You know what they spent the money on buyouts for losing football coaches. <laughs> <laughs> if they're still in the big 12, they're winning games and they ain't buying these guys out. Like where'd the money go? Like, uh, great. You got a lot of money and you wasted it all. Some of these things, if you're tech, Oklahoma has it made, right? They get, they roll out of bed 10 and two. We are really good. And if we could just get our defense together, we can win playoff games. We're really close to winning playoff games. We've got Heisman Trophy winners. I mean, everything about the Oklahoma football program is top notch, except they can't beat an SEC power in the playoff. So what are they going to do? Join the SEC? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. You don't I, I, think you get more alumni, more sponsorship, more donations when you're going eleven and one, and you're making, you're winning the conference title, and your and your fans are excited, and you're giving it a shot, and man, you're playing a quadruple, whatever that double overtime game against Georgia, 
and all that. Well, you know where Georgia lives? Where you going to play? I, I think this is stupid for Oklahoma and Texas. You're going to have more money. Guess what? You're going to need it. Nebraska needed it. They lost their, their, their cachet. They just became another school in the Midwest with a big stadium that used to be good. And they're asking all the recruits in the Midwest to drive by like 10 other stadiums really big to come to our play. It doesn't work. I mean, we could, Scott Frost has not done a good job, but the problem with Nebraska is it's Nebraska. They never should have been. Like, there's no earthly reason Nebraska ever should have been the most powerful team in the country. And they were for a long time. But as this thing goes, and, and if I'm Oklahoma, I, I don't know. Are they really going to be as good? Are they going to make the playoff almost every single year now? I don't think so. I mean, they expand the playoff maybe. But Texas could can wake up and go, the only team we really got to worry about here is Oklahoma. And the Oklahoma gets most of their players from Texas. All I'm going to say is the people, when you discuss it, the people are like, the one move that you wouldn't go, what are you doing? Like if Ohio State said, we're going to the SEC, like what are you doing? It's crazy. <laughs> You're giving yeah, up all of this and this. Giving and this. up the catbird seat to go, you know, and, get and, into And giving up tons brawl. of other dollars and access to students, you know, your undergraduate students, which come from, from Chicago and, and, and Detroit and, and Pittsburgh. And, you know, you're trying to draw students into your school and all that to go somewhere else. Because there aren't a whole lot of kids growing up in the South saying, I really want to move to Columbus, Ohio for college, right? It's just not, that's not where you're getting your students. It, it wouldn't make any sense. But, I mean, Clemson and Florida State, probably should be in the league and Mississippi schools shouldn't. I think the underappreciated part of Texas and Oklahoma going is that you can argue the next six years, they've completely undercut the future of their program because the ability for them to recruit at the level they're going to need to compete at is completely nullified because they basically have to go to these recruits and say, hey, come play in this crappy league we're about to ditch. And where all the opposing fans are going to hate us. And then eventually, maybe your junior or senior year, maybe we can go play in this better league where everyone's going to be better than us. And we're probably going to get our face kicked in for a few years. Like there's no logical recruiting bridge. And I have a column coming up this week on on Yahoo. We're looking at all the hot seat stuff. Like I don't think Lincoln Riley ever coaches a game in the SEC. I just think he looks around. and He says, wait a minute. It's impossible to recruit. There's really no way to get them over those teams over without unbelievable expense within the first couple of years. There's very litigious folks in Texas ready to pounce on every move. Like you're all of a sudden going to be on this treadmill. If you're Lincoln Riley, you can go to the NFL. If you fail spectacularly in the NFL, you'll still come back and get the best college job. And I mean, Lincoln Riley is like, 23 right so he'd still be like do all this by the age of 40 I'm, I'm, I'm joking but like he could easily go live a full-on NFL life learn those schemes come back and still be the best offensive mind in college football at any time he would want and if you're Steve Sarkeesian with a bad roster with bad lines especially offensive and defensive line there's no clear path to build and rebuild those and Cristal Conte is in your corner now until he isn't because no winds blow through boosters presidents, administrators more fickle than those in Austin, because if they start to lose in Texas, they're not going to say, oh, we need to give Steve time to build an SEC roster. Their attitude is we'll just go get someone else to build an SEC roster. So I it is going to be an interminable slog for Lincoln and Steve to show up in the SEC with rosters that are ready to compete week in and week out in the SEC. Looking at Oklahoma's 
Rivals.com national recruiting ranking, 785. That's what they came in. Are you going to really recruit much better than that? Yeah. Or do you I mean, actually recruit a little less because now more Texas kids are staring at the SEC? Sure. I because don't know. Those te- well, that's yeah. the thing. You've invited more of the SEC into your backyard in recruiting. And you have almost, you know, you can almost take out Baylor and TCU uh, and other places there as as prime spots for some of those Texas kids because they're going to say, I don't want to be there anymore, so I'll go look at the SEC schools that are all suddenly now playing even more in our backyard. It's hard to recruit much better than five, seven, and eight. You obviously right. do it. And, yeah. and you kind of have to to beat Georgia and Alabama and those things, but I don't know. I just think there's a lot of risk at, at all of this. All right. Little note from uh, Las Vegas Review Journal said the Pac-12 will decide about expansion in the next couple weeks was the report. My guess is there's no expansion and this is just the alliance, but I don't know. Anyone heard anything? Or, or should 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 you stay by the phone down there, Mac Rhodes at Baylor? Should you? <laughs> if you can stay by the phone, but in. it ain't going to ring. I don't think it's going <laughs> to ring. I mean, I, I just don't, again, I, I, boy, I just don't see who there is that, that you're the Pac-12 and you say, let's go get them. I just, I don't see anybody that helps you significantly. And I, there was some discussion, you know, Oklahoma State is probably the best all sports school out there that's still in that, that the, the, the spurned eight of the, uh, of the Big 12 but they bring nothing to the table in terms of academics, and they bring nothing to the table in terms of market. I mean, they have a hard time filling their 50,000-seat stadium when their football team is good. They just don't have that, that base, and they don't have a TV market. And, and again, you're going to get the people from the numerous you know, heavyweight academic schools in the Pac-12 to say, yeah, we want that school from Stillwater in here. I, I'm not sure I see it. I go back with the Pac-12 and with the, the Big 12 to, to a very, very simple plan. The Big 12 is in the classic realignment, fetal position of vulnerability. All the leaders in the Big 12 get on a conference call and say, we're going to stick together. We're going to support. And then they hang up. And they immediately start calling, texting, uh, signaling every other league possible and wave their arms. And what usually happens in these cases, and it happened in like the old Big East when the ACC raided, was that you you obviously want to empower the presidents in the 80s, the most powerful schools. But those are also the most interested parties in leaving. So you end up undercutting your own future by putting people in charge who think they have the best chance of leaving. So it's a bad spot for the big 12 and it's a difficult leadership position for Bob Bowlesby to be like, Hey guys, you don't add any value. So let's concentrate on maximizing our own value. This is just a hard message because the presidents and ADs in those leagues say we need to maximize our potential and look like it's a tough road for them. I mean, if you're going to go at the end of this big 12 contract from $40 million in TV revenue, and you're going to go down to something like 15, I mean, that's just like, you you just you have to lay off a third of your staff. I mean, it's an awful, awful, awful situation for them. It's uh, it in, and there's no there's no good answers or right answers. But the the stay fractured, never get together part of this doesn't work. All right, Pete, you had a story this week, and there's been a bunch of this, unfortunately. Uh, and if you had told me this a year ago, I would have not believed you. Although maybe I should have. COVID is uh, still around and impacting the season. 
Uh, you're already seeing it in the NFL. We're taping on Monday. Literally, Mike Vrabel, head coach, Tennessee Titans, announces he has COVID. Cam Newton can't practice this week with the Patriots because he took a test in the wrong test. I'm not sure the whole details. Doesn't matter. It's impacting. And, uh, you know, obviously they're playing some games now. It's preseason, but we're going to get there. Three of the five major conferences have announced that if you do not have, if you can't play because of COVID, you forfeit the game, which is different from last year where it just wasn't played. We have, uh, well, I guess Brian Harson tested positive for COVID. We already did that. Hawaii will not have fans in the stands, uh, at least at this point. Oregon and Washington are requiring fans to be vaccinated. To attend home games, anyone over 12 has to be vaccinated. So 11-year-olds can run free. Just be a whole lot of 11-year-olds at the game. I think My or guess produce is, a negative test, Dan. Or pro- oh, in that group, too. Yeah. Or produce a negative test. Okay. That's, that's my good. understanding. I, 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 I actually, read the I actually that's print. good. Yeah, check with your local school. I don't, don't listen to us. We've said this since, since the start of COVID. We told you do not listen to us on any COVID information. <laughs> yes, yeah. okay. we are We're definitely not. not doctors. We don't even know that much about football. So we <laughs> <laughs> chicken wars come back. Other than that, we do, we own nothing. <laughs> Purposeful misinformation. No, which is total incompetence. <laughs> We're not smart enough to mislead. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where I'm leading you. <laughs> Had a coach Pete tell you we're ninety percent vaccinated. I'm still nervous. What's what? what where, where are we here? What, what, the, the interesting part of this story, Dan. So I did a little uh, tour through the Midwest week, and I was sitting in a bunch of coaches' offices. I went to uh, Ohio State, Toledo, Kent, Notre Dame, and Northwestern, and kind of asked the, the the players I spoke with, the coaches I spoke with. Hey, what are you guys doing? What rules are you going to take place? There was a, a very defined clarity to like what rules players lived under last year. And it was basically like, you can't do anything. You can't go anywhere. I'll never forget the image of bike racks brought outside a game. So families couldn't hug their kids. Like, like you have to speak to your family over a bike rack and you can't hug them. So, I mean, that's how serious the protocols were last year. This year, you know, obviously the Delta variant is looming. It's impacting the NFL, certainly. You know, Jeff Trailer, the coach at UTSA, they're online only their first three weeks at Texas San Antonio classes. He basically said, we're, we're operating like last year. Ryan Day, while like wanting his guys to be cautious, basically said, like, I can't sit here and tell my players not to go out to eat with their families. You know, Pat Fitzgerald told me, like, be smart, be flexible, like make good decisions, like the old parenting uh, line as like part of the as what they're doing at Northwestern. So there there are going to be significant differences to how these programs all operate. Now, some of that may be may be determined by how vaccinated you are. Right. Most of the programs I talked to last week, all of them are above 80 percent. Some of them, you know, most of them over over 90 at this point. But that doesn't eliminate. There's plenty of vaccinated players and coaches who've got had breakthroughs. So, yeah, I just think it's a it's a really nebulous landscape and there's a lot of ambiguity over what to do, what's right to do. And it's probably going to change three times throughout the year, much like we saw last year. Yeah, this is a moving target for sure. And I do think that there is a certain percentage of people who are very resistant to trying to go back to the shutdown of last year or anything even approximating it because it sucked. I mean, it was no fun for anybody. And so trying to get players, fans, 
uh, et cetera, to buy back into something like that is difficult. It's really, really hard because everybody's been saying, oh, I can't wait for this school year to be normal. Well, now here we are, and it's not as normal as anybody wants. And so it, it, it is a really difficult premise to begin with. I'll be super interested to see what attendance looks like at places, some places I'm sure are going to be close to capacity, but I bet there's still going to be a leeriness uh, amongst some of the population to even want to go back to a 90,000 seat stadium that's full, 70,000, 50,000, whatever the case may be. For players, I mean, look, Lane Kiffin, and I I don't know exactly what his, his motivation was, but, but Lane Kiffin, I think getting his team 100% vaccinated reportedly goes to the bottom line of, do you guys want to play football or not? And the, the one thing that can blow us up is positive tests here. So let's, let's try do everything we can to eliminate that. Uh, I think that has to be your motivation from a, from a program standpoint. But I just think that we are, everybody wants so badly for this to be a normal season and it's not going to start normally and we'll see how it ends. Yeah. Whatever plan you got going into week one might not be the plan of week six. And I mean, we're seeing it in just the way COVID it moves across the country. There's seasonal. I mean, unfortunately, we're starting to get some, uh, you know, seasonal uh, trend data because this thing keeps going on and on. But, you know, so it may not be may not be a big deal right now in one community. It's a very big deal in another community. Uh, you have all sorts of different beliefs. Uh, you know, does a does a private business have the right to determine who gets in or out? So can a school say you have to be vaxxed? or a negative test that you're also having state legislatures trying to pass laws that, that ban that, that, that the freedom of the business to, I guess, help the free, I get confused on the freedom arguments, help the freedom <laughs> of the individuals who want to get vaxxed. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, some people are never getting vaxxed. Uh, I mean, there's always been this belief. Well, if you tell me I can't go to the Alabama game now that they're not doing it like, you know, so, but he so says there's a million arguments and we could we're not going to spend time on it because you can go find somewhere else. But, you know, it's, it's, it's going to watch the Crimson Tide an inalienable right protected in the Constitution. I don't know. You know, I, have fun with that one. But reminds me real quick of the John Wooden had a great line of to, to Bill Walton back in the 70s. Bill Walton was like, you know, John Wooden had a no facial hair policy. Walton's like, I have a right to grow a beard. I can grow a beard if I want to. That's my constitutional right. And John Wooden said, you're right. You do have that right. And we'll miss you because you won't play for us. So there is a point where your constitutional liberty runs up against somebody else's authority. Or constitutional liberty. I don't know. That's why. That's why we have uh, Supreme Courts and stuff. The People's Court will not rule on this. I don't know if yes. you can come to it. We have um, much weightier matters to consider. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got we got a, a escaped horse in Indiana. We have got to get to. No, I don't know. I mean, this is going to be it's going to be wild. It's going to be it's going to be messy. There's going to be yelling. There's going to be shouting. There's going to be anger. We're going to love it. The only <laughs> <laughs> I wish COVID was done, but if everyone's yelling at each other, we could milk it for a little. I don't know. It's just it sucks. I don't want to. I don't want to go through it again. I, some of these stands are going to be full. Some are not. I agree with you, Pat. Like I wonder. Places with like it's like Michigan, Nebraska, like it's hard to get a hundred thousand people to a game, and if just if just ten percent of those people say, "Yeah, I'm just not doing it," yeah, just not risking it. I don't need it. I learned how to watch at home last year. You got to find ten thousand more people. Yeah, and, and you know, or fifteen thousand more. You know, it's it, it, it. You wonder if these sellout streaks and things like that. 
I, I certainly don't think it's it's unreasonable to think 10 to 20 percent of fans that normally go to every game are just going to sit back and go, you know, this Delta thing, man. Right. I'm just especially look, I mean, some of the old school fans at those universities are older people. Right. Who, Maybe a much more leery of 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 any possible contracting the virus, even if you're vaccinated. So now you risk uh, it for the Ohio State game, but you're not risking it for like you know App State, like whatever you know. I mean, yeah, so you right. gotta die watching. You know, yeah. they're all gonna be actually in Michigan. They're all gonna be like, can't get can't risk the Delta. I'm not watching the Buckeyes. Yeah. Let's skip the Buckeye game. Delta, yeah. not because I think we're getting our ass kicked for the 50th year in a row. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. We'll see. We will be here for uh, COVID uh, misinformation all season long. Back for another another spin at this this album. All right, let's get to some prop bets. All right, football. Some futures. All right, let's start with the the, the, the Heisman. We do the small sample Heisman, and I, I award mine to whoever eats bananas with banana peels on, <laughs> whoever the best fighter in a bench-clearing <laughs> brawl is, uh, things like that. If you've been suspended for a good reason, but uh, this would be more football-related. Large sample Heisman odds. Who takes home the prize? Betting favorites, Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma, plus 800. Bryce Young of Alabama, unproven, plus 1,000. He's second. Third, Clemson's DJ. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to get it right. Let's give it a shot, huh? Give it a shot. Ui Unga Lale. Well done. Pretty good. Well done. I, I've been practicing. Somewhere your UMass phonetics professor approved. <laughs> it's a hell of a player. Plus 1,100. JT Daniels plus 1,200. Sam Howell plus 1,600 from North Carolina. CJ Stroud, 1,600. Derek King at Miami plus 2,000. Goes on from there. Who, who would you pick if you're putting down money? Or you can go one of these longer odds one, and I'll just tell you who you got. Okay. Out of the, like the, the group that you listed, the, the shorter odds types... I'm going to say that uh, Sam Howell has a great chance because I think he's gonna, he's put up monster numbers two years in a row and should do it again this year. Pete had a very good feature on him, you know, workaholic guy who's got a chance to to elevate North Carolina. We know Heisman voters. You know, you, if you are the guy that all of a sudden takes a program up a noticeable level in terms of being elite, then you get a lot of attention and a lot of buzz from that. And you look at their schedule – it's not a cakewalk to Notre Dame October 30th, but it's not that difficult. All right. You're going to have to win at Virginia Tech. You're going to get Florida State in Chapel Hill. You're going to get Miami in Chapel Hill, to which point you could be two, four, six, seven, and oh at Notre Dame. You play well and you win there. You can run the table on the regular season. And then you, you are going to New York for sure uh, because they don't factor in the playoff, obviously, in the voting. So I think Sam Howell has will have numbers and has a schedule that could set him up for being the champion of the ACC Coastal and going into play uh, Clemson for the ACC title. Well, since Pat stole mine, I will uh, I will take some little bit <laughs> longer odds and go with uh, Keaton Slovis from USC. Betting on Clay Helton would always be dangerous, right? But I think the thing with Slovis is USC misses Oregon. They miss Washington. They don't really have, other than Notre Dame, which they play every year, they don't really have an out-of-conference game that's that difficult. So they start San Jose, Stanford at Washington State, Oregon State at home at Colorado. Look, they're going to throw the ball a lot. Their offensive line is not very good. 
Their tailbacks are pedestrian. And this is Graham Harrell, man. This is the air raid. They're going to throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. They have dynamic receivers. And so I would just think unless Slovis gets mauled by opposing defensive fronts, and this still is the Pac-12, I really think that everything is set up for USC to throw for a billion yards. Slovis is a proven commodity. There's a little bit of a magic in a in a USC quarterback. I would think I got him at plus 2,800 here. I would think that that's like that's a value play that could keep you in the hunt uh, for for most of the season. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna go with the favorite here and Spencer Rattler. Oklahoma quarterbacks win Heisman's. I think they have a chance to roll through the early part of the season until they face they face Iowa State late. That'll be a big game, and I, I, they're getting them at home. I can totally see them undefeated. I think he's going to put up a million numbers. The numbers are going to be huge. Nebraska game, and then in the Texas game. I think he's going to have monster numbers and have a lot of momentum going in late. And if they beat Iowa State, they're going to, they could be undefeated, rank number one if some of these votes go in. So I would actually go uh, with Spencer Rattler at eight, plus 800 is not a, I mean, that's still a nice number. So, um, but man, this is a crapshoot. You're looking down this thing. A bunch of dudes haven't played. <laughs> yeah. A bunch of dudes. I mean, some of them are a little weird. Like George Pickens is on this thing, plus 10,000. <laughs> He's I would out not with an bet ACL, that. so yeah. I'm yeah, I would not that. bet George Pickens. He will not win the Heisman. Take short that if you could. Don't take financial advice from us, but yeah, definitely don't bet George <laughs> 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 All gambling advice is at risk except that one. Yeah. <laughs> I 100% guarantee George Pickens will not win the Heisman Trophy this year since he's not playing. Although... He could come back late. That That's... Remember the New York Times gave UConn the national championship last year <laughs> and they playing. did not play. <laughs> what the hell do I know? Who would have thought? A lot of voters who'd have to vote for old George, who, by the way, hasn't even been that, that productive. In his career. <laughs> no, he hasn't. That's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's like Randy Moss is coming back for a final year of yeah, eligibility. Right, yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, all right. He might be pretty good. Uh, although at this age, although honestly, Randy'd still kill you. He'd still kill it. Mm, Randy's good. I don't care how old Randy is. All right, let's run through these conference. Uh, again, bet MGM. Pick, uh, make a pick based on who you would bet on, not necessarily who you think. Uh, obviously, everyone would, would take Ohio State. We'll start with the Big Ten. However, they're negative 225. Wisconsin's plus 600. Penn State, 900. Iowa, 900. Indiana, 2,000. Michigan, 2,500. Uh, if you're making a pick, who do you pick? Pat? All right, if I'm just going pure, like, let's try to make some money. Let's usually this the, thing. get the goal of, of gambling. Yes, right. So let's <laughs> take a swing. Give I'm me Minnesota. Pl- he does a good job losing it. Maybe this explains, <laughs> this explains everything. <laughs> Minnesota plus 2,500. I'm not picking anybody else to win. the. Nobody from the East other than Ohio State. I'm sorry. Nobody else is going gonna, is gonna to be able to beat them. So I'm looking from the West, what team could get into the championship game and somehow play 60 miraculous minutes and win the title? And I'm going Minnesota at plus 2,500 because I think they're going to have a good year. I think they bounce back big time. A lot of returning talent. Uh, most productive running back really returning in the country and Muhammad Ibrahim, uh, Tanner Morgan, three-year starting quarterback, offensive line is good. So give me the Gophers on the long shot play there for the Big Ten. 
I uh, will not go as long of a shot, but I'll go to the West and I'll take Iowa. I was playing as well as anyone in the country last year when their uh, season uh, ended. Spencer Petras has established himself as like a solid, promising young quarter- quarterback. And look, they have the offensive line in the defensive medal to be competitive in that West. So if you look at Iowa plus 900, I think that's a, that's a decent value play. And they have the chance to beat Iowa State in the non-conference, really give them, as they've done every year, Matt Campbell's been in Iowa State, gives them a nice little non-conference win, gives them a little, uh, gives them a little pop heading into, uh, heading into league play. So I'm in on the Hawkeyes. All right, that was my pick. I'm very high on the Hawkeyes. I'm going to go with the same thing. I'm not picking anyone in the East. I'm going to go with Northwestern at 5,000. Woo! Plus 5,000. Look, they made it last year. It's a great program. Uh, there's almost nothing if you look at their returning players that makes you suggest this. They almost beat Ohio State in that game. I mean, they were in it. And uh, all it takes is you get there, and Northwestern's defensive style and, and, and Pat Fitzgerald, I could see them mucking it up and winning it at plus 5,000. I mean, I'd take that over Nebraska at plus 5,000. Uh, man, Illinois, plus 25,000. Jeez. Um, I just <laughs> don't think anyone a miracle else gets, there, but that's that bet. Yeah, I don't think anyone else gets out of the East. So I'll I'd go with North uh, Northwestern. All right, ACC. Clemson's negative 750, obviously. Carolina's 1,000 plus 1,000. Miami's plus 1,000. BC plus 2,500. Uh, Louisville plus 3,000. NC State 5,000 and so on. FSU, um, Virginia Tech, Wake, same. Duke plus 25,000. Duke and Syracuse plus 25,000. Anyone wants them? I, uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I propped up NC State on last week's podcast and I became like a, a cult message board hero amongst the, uh, amongst the pack. <laughs> and as pack can attest, the pack have a bit of a fickle fan base. So I'm going to ride my, my rare popularity with the uh, NC State <laughs> fan base and just look at, the, uh, look at the starters they have returning back. Look at the way the offense jumped with Tim Beck as the OC. Devin Leary's there. They have a very good defense, and it's just a matter of NC State putting it all, uh, putting it all together. So I'm, I'm stunned that BC has so much better odds to win the ACC as NC State. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. So... I'm uh, I'm staying on the pack man wagon. That those are those are juicy odds. Yeah, I, I share your astonishment at the BC odds there. I, I don't quite see that. That's a big jump up. And NC State, yes, except Pete, they play in the same division as Clemson, and Clemson's going to win the division. So I'm going to the other side, and the choice there is either Carolina or Miami, and I'll go with Carolina. Uh, they just beat the daylights out of Miami so badly last year. I'm not sure Miami can can reverse that big a deficit year over year, although they, the, the skill personnel losses at North Carolina are significant other than the quarterback. But I like Ty Chandler, the running back transfer from Sully's Vols, who all the Vols are going on to thrive elsewhere. And NC North Carolina, too much firepower. They win the Coastal, and then they go in and upset uh, Clemson. Give me them at plus 1,000. There's no such thing as a sure bet, but Sully being tortured is about as close as you can get to a sure bet. <laughs> That's what we got. So I'm very in, uh, I'm intrigued, uh, not not to bet them, but I'm intrigued with Georgia, what Georgia Tech is going to do this year as they kind of transition as a program. But at plus 10,000, are they going to win the – Division, no. They're not going to win this thing. I do expect them to have a good year. And Pitt is not – I don't know why they're 600 and 6, 000, plus 6,600 and BC's plus 2,500. But I will take the Miami Hurricanes 
They got De'Ara King, tremendous quarterback. Their front seven on defense, especially those linebackers, are really, really good. They've got a lot of talent coming in. Uh, if I'm not taking Clemson, I'll take Miami to uh, to do it. All right, Big 12 still exists. <laughs> Plus 500 to still exist at the end of the year. Um <laughs> Oklahoma's negative 165. Iowa State's plus 260. Texas is plus 1,200. They're back, baby. Then they're gone. Oklahoma State, TCU are also plus 1,200. West Virginia is plus 2,500. K-State, Baylor, plus 5,000. Texas Tech is plus 10,000. Kansas is plus infinity. (laughs) No, it's plus 25,000. I, d- I dare you to bet on them. Just give to charity. <laughs> God. They're, p- yeah, exactly. they're paying walk-ons to go away. It might be a good sign, might not. I can't go too long in odds here. I just think Oklahoma and Iowa State are head and shoulders above everyone else, which means it's probably the kind of year that Oklahoma State somehow goes like 11-1 and one, because they seem to be the team that the less, the le- less I expect of them, the more they deliver and vice versa. But... I'll take Iowa State at plus 260. I don't think they're very far behind Oklahoma. They're going to play them twice. Uh, Matt Campbell, very good coach. They've got everyone who matters back from last year's team. Uh, They may still not be as talented as Oklahoma, but you get them on a neutral field in a championship game, and I think uh, I would at least take the odds there that you can make some money on them uh, beating Oklahoma and winning the Big 12. Boy, not a lot of uh, good options outside of uh, Oklahoma and Iowa State in this league. Boy, I, I would just hate to. I would just hate to follow uh, follow. Pat. Big Twelve I'm, football, I'm... feel the excitement. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always said TCU and the military academies are like the hardest teams to predict in the preseason. TCU, when you think they're going to stink, they win 10. When you think they're going to win 10, they stink. I think they're probably going to stink this year, but they return 18 starters. Max Duggan is the top of that next tier of Big 12 quarterbacks, and Gary Patterson certainly could revive some of his saltiness that we've seen from some of those defenses earlier in his career. I will take TCU plus twelve hundred. I mean, they've beaten Texas too much to just assume Texas is going to uh, is is going to just roll in and, uh, and and start competing for the league title again. So I will take Coach Patterson's Horn Frogs. All right, I'm going to take Oklahoma. I know it's one negative one sixty five. Fine, bet a hundred, take your sixty bucks or so. You're not going to get a huge money play, but. They're they're the best team. They have the most talent. They probably got the best coach, and they got the best team. So, if you want to, they don't have the best tap water. <laughs> they Other do than not. that, uh, I don't know what. But the Ames the Ames guys, the Iowa State's going to go to Norman. They're going to be gagging on tap water at their hotel all night. <laughs> it's going to be terrible. Bring bring the brittle little brown jug. Borrow the little brown jug. Bring your own tap water. That's what Michigan did. Fielding Yost did. That's what started. They thought Minnesota was going to poison the water. All water is poisoned once you step outside of Ames. <laughs> Pac-12, no favorites. No one's negative. Uh, this thing's wide open. Oregon, plus 250. Washington, plus 350, coming off the 3-1 and one season. How are they plus 350? We literally know nothing about this program. USC, plus 400. So is Arizona State, although they're running out of coaches. Utah plus 600, UCLA plus 1,200. I think we know where Pete's picking. Oh. Washington State plus 4,000, Stanford, Cal plus 5,000, 
Colorado and Oregon State plus 6,600, and Arizona is plus 10,000. You dare me to be predictable, and I go the other way. I'm taking Utah, man. They, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. Yeah, they, they return essentially every, uh, every player from last year, and the Utes finally have a quarterback. Charlie Brewer was the rock of Matt Rule's time at Baylor. He is the quintessential solid yet unspectacular type of game manager that Kyle Winningham's program needs. Unless they somehow regress Charlie Brewer, he should be able to complete 65% of his passes. They have a powerful offensive line to move the ball. They've got talent at tailback. They got everybody back on defense. And I really feel like Utah, although they do have to go to USC and there are some challenges in the schedule, I really feel like Utah could be in the wide open South. Pac-12 South will be one of the most fun divisions in college football this year. There's a, there's a, there's a, a good aura of uncertainty there. I, I would never bet against the Utes because they will give you a knuckle sandwich every snap. Yeah, I mean, that, hey, there's four teams that could win the South, so why not take a flyer on one of them there? I, I'm sticking with Washington. I've said for a while now I think they're going to win the North. Uh, you're right, Dan, after f- a whopping four games, we don't know a lot about them uh, last year, but they were good, and they, got, they had a young quarterback who they kind of had to coax along. He made a lot of several mistakes, Dylan Morris, but if he takes that step forward next year and his, this year and as his next second season as a starter – they got everything else pretty much in place. I, I like what uh, Washington's got there just in terms of program stability. Jimmy Lake is taking over for Chris Peterson, but Chris Peterson knows how to build a program. So I think the Huskies are set up to uh, to take the Pac-12 at a modest uh, profit of plus 350. I'll tell you, it's only you're only losing 100 there to take Oregon, so I'm going to do that, plus 250. I know I'm taking the favorites, but not, ba- not a bad deal. SC at 400 is a little better value, but... I just like where Oregon's program is better. Uh, they're the team to beat, and you're getting decent odds on them. So I don't, I'm not going to overthink that one. Uh, all right, SEC. Bama, negative 165. Georgia, plus 200. And then there is a big gap. So you can see where all the money is. A&M is plus 1,200. Florida, 2,000. LSU, 2,500. Ole Miss, 3,500. Missouri, 4,000. Auburn, 5,000. Kentucky, 66. 100, Tennessee and Mississippi State, 10,000, South Carolina, 15, the Fighting Sam Pittman's 25,000, and poor Vandy back where they are uh, birthrighted at uh, plus 50,000. <laughs> plus 50,000. They're twice as unlikely got to win their odds. conference as Syracuse and Duke are to win their conference. Think huh, about no, that. No, yeah, ha- yeah, twice as unlikely as Kansas winning it. Good God. That's all right. Pretty Ouch. unlikely. James Franklin. They must have seen all those you? Buffalo transfers Kansas got and that uh, lowered the odds. All right. Pick anyone. This is in horse racing. This is where you look at the form and there's a three to five favorite that's well-bred, trained by the best trainer and has the best jockey. And you say, I'm going to beat the favorite. So you don't bet on Alabama. And then, of course, you watch that favorite win by five lengths. But you try at least to beat the favorite. I w- I'm going to say Texas A&M at plus twelve hundred. Uh, just because you get a price there, and they do get Alabama in College Station. If the quarterback comes through, AM has everything else pretty much in place. Uh, I, I think that the West still is better than the East, so I think that AM has a chance, if they can beat Alabama, to beat the winner of the East, which is probably Georgia. Give me the Aggies uh, in that one. I was going to take the Aggies, but since this is a fun exercise, I'll take Georgia. Georgia's the most talented. Georgia's got the more experienced quarterback. 
Georgia's got dudes on the D-line. They have, uh, you know, a prove-it game to start the season out of league play, and then they have the single easiest conference schedule of any contender in uh, in college football. Maybe Oklahoma's is easier. But, like, there's really – they after the Clemson game, until the SEC title game, they will be favored by at least a touchdown in every game. And so I uh, I feel like they can build confidence. I feel like they can – address some of those questions on the offensive line, which are real. And I feel like they can be in a position for mentor to probably beat uh teacher in the sec title game. All right. So this is a tough one. I'm going to take Missouri at plus 4,000. What? what? <laughs> did I hear that right? You did. You did. Holy I- moly. I wouldn't bet this. I'd bet the favorites, but I pick too many favorites. Bet on George Pickens win the Heisman. This is the great thing about our podcast. Bet on Missouri. I'm picking Missouri, but don't bet on it. Uh, I think Coach Drinkwitz has got got it going a little bit. QB Connor Basilek is that it? Basilek Basilek Basilek. I got to say I can't pronounce any quarterback, so don't feel bad, DJ. Pat Sun does a good job covering the beat. I mean, is that yeah. part of your Shady uh, Gators. Shady Gators. Mitchell, Mitchell Forty yeah. really thorough. And uh, I you know. think Missouri is on the rise. They win the East and then get to Atlanta and shock the world. Plus 4,000. Holy moly. That thing moly. should be higher, though. I don't know. You just shocked me with that pick. Right. I would take Kentucky Wait. over Missouri. Yeah, I probably would, too. Missouri Who has to go to Kentucky and to Georgia. So I wonder if Will Levis eating those bananas has impacted the line at all. Yeah, you guys. I'm not backing down. Okay. <laughs> Let's bean get to pot this. odds. There we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's talk <laughs> bean pot. All right. We're going to do bean pot odds next week ne- on Wednesday, plus all the other conferences. I think there's five more. Yep. We'll do five more. We're going to do them. Pete's and we will. We will we're going to clear about 23 minutes for Pete to talk about the, the Mac East race. <laughs> <laughs> I do have some firsthand empirical. Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, with some Mac. Jason Candle year. still got it going. Sources. <laughs> Except for when he hasn't. <laughs> Let's do that. Uh, in more important news, an outfit called uh, Quality Logo Products. Quality Logo Products. They have a blog. And apparently they commissioned some kind of uh, poll. I'm not sure if it's scientific or not, but we don't care for our purposes. Asking what the creepiest college mascot in America is. The creepiest college mascot. Can anyone guess? Does anyone know the answer to this? If you already know, don't say. Uh, I, my vote I don't. would be for the Providence Friar. That I, thing that's yes. really my vote. For decades. Yes. Oh. Yes. Providence Fire over which Wake Forest Demon Deacon. That would be my that might be my exacta. The Demon Deacon's got that motorcycle that he rides around. The the, the Providence Friar is out of a horror movie. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And he might as well have like a sickle. Like yeah. what the hell is that thing? It's terrifying. His eyes, man. Yeah. <laughs> Providence Friar is the most terrifying. Apparently, this thing did not include basketball because he didn't make the top uh-huh. ten. And I don't. Mm. There's no way any legitimate poll could not have the fryer up there. The winner is Purdue Pete. Whoa, really? I think Purdue Pete's got a hard hat. I mean, he come, there's that huge drum. He's, does he yeah. bang the big he, drum? He carries a sledgehammer. You know, I mean, he's, yeah, just, he's, the, he's menacing. I'm not sure he's creepy. 
Purdue Pete at that big drum, banging the big drum. Is the is apparently the uh, former AD Morgan Burke said he often received phone calls from parents who uh, would say that Purdue Pete terrorized their children. <laughs> this is a quote from Morgan Burke. Look, I'm the one who gets the phone calls from parents who say that big face scares their three-year-old. <laughs> a former Purdue Pete mascot, Dave Mc. McGow- McGowie, 48, said, we learned very quickly you approach kids very cautiously. Some kids just had big smiles and could not wait to touch you. Others have fear in their eyes, so I'd stay away from them and wave. I did not know Purdue Pete was out there terrorizing the masses of rural Indiana. How about that? Poor kid just wants to go to a Purdue game, <laughs> watch the boiler, boiler up, watch the big drum, and uh, this is what happens. Uh, thoughts on that? I can give you, you want the rest of the top 10? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. The rest of the top 10 uh, include Cayenne, the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. That is terrifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Spicy, spicy. I wonder if Pistol? Cayenne like rests in the dentist chair overlooking. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Hugh, took, Hugh Freeze took Cayenne's lair. That was a great mascot for the Raging Cajuns. Yeah. Pistol Pete from Oklahoma State. Does he is mean looking and he's got that stubble? Yeah, like Pete, like our own pistol Pete has going on today during our yeah, taping. Yeah, didn't yeah. Didn't for the pod. We had a hurricane yeah. coming, so I, I had my best hurricane face on, and then the okay. hurricane didn't show up. So uh, I can God. tell you, this one was terrifying at least once when someone on this podcast actually adorned the costume. <laughs> the Stanford tree comes in number four. <laughs> Pat Forty was once the Stanford tree for a story at ESPN. I was. It happened. Terrifying. <laughs> Number five is the Demon Deacon and his motorcycle. Yeah. Definitely a weird guy. What's under the hat? Why the big top hat? <laughs> if you have a big top hat, you don't ride a motorcycle. That's not the, the so coat. The coat with the tails and everything, too. I mean, there's just there's a lot. Something lot sinister is under the, the top hat. walked into a bar. Like, the bartender should call the police. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> The top hat would fly off, yet it doesn't even when he rides the motorcycle. I, something's <laughs> weird about that guy. I don't understand this one, but the Nittany Lion from Penn State, the only weird what? thing about that is it's a, it's a lion that has a scarf. Yeah, right. warm enough, but why does he have a scarf? I'm, I, I don't know. Sparky the Sun Devil's number seven. Mm, I have a funny story about Sparky the Sun Devil. Uh, <laughs> my friend Kevin Kelly is the... Uh, Lead bartender at Mastro's restaurant in uh, Boston. Good spot. You should check it out. He had a little boy uh, over the pandemic. I hope you get a free app for that right there. Pete, <laughs> yes. Pete just get knocking down his bar tab with a little mid. Good job. <laughs> also, hey, you could purchase if I epic ads to work on a bar tab. What, 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 what are we here for? So, yeah, Kevin went to uh, Arizona State. So when uh, Kate and I found out he had a little boy, we we're like, oh, we'll get Kevin something. So we talked about the Sun Devils quite a bit. So I ordered uh, a bunch of Arizona State stuff for his little guy, you know, little winter hats and like little booties. And I got a Sparky the Sun Devil. So it shows up. Kate grabs the Sparky the Sun Devil. She's like, what are you doing? This thing's terrifying. You're not going to give this to this little kid. <laughs> was Kate pulled? Was Kate pulled? And was she really, one of the? Kate was just petrified that little Gavin was going to be looking at Sparky the Sun Devil and getting freaked out. So I got in trouble at home. You satanically traumatized him. Unbelievable. Yeah. Number eight is Tony the Land Shark from uh, Old Miss. Oh, come on. At number nine, Hey Reb from UNLV. It's got a huge <laughs> a mustache. Creepy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey Reb has got a stash like no one's business. Yeah. Take a look at <laughs> Hey Reb. Yeah. That thing is a monster. <laughs> He's old Vegas. How, how do you? Yeah. yeah, he really is. <laughs> He's like yeah. the white guys in uh, Goodfellas that like control yeah. the gaming board. Right. Finally, Boco the Bobcat from Texas State. I have no I idea. Got nothing on Boco. What I don't even I know. No, what Boco I looks have no like. strong feelings about Boco. Yeah. Boco somehow came in tenth. I don't know how this. I mean, who? They must have had a uh, like a you could pick because who the hell even knows Boco, <laughs> the Bobcat exists. <laughs> I did not. I'd rather find out what's in the Sooner Schooner. <laughs> what are you guys carrying around? Remember it wrecked though. Nothing oh yeah, tipped it over. It over. I mean, the Buffalo would see you running at you, but the Providence Friar is easily the scariest thing I've 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 ever witnessed in person. Um, I often try to stay at like the old Big East tournament. I try to befriend the the Mountaineer because <laughs> he had a weapon. <laughs> right. Yeah. So in case the Friar got if the Friar started doing Friar things, we could just shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> just finish him. Uh, all right. And now this one, Pat. Uh, Evansville, Indiana, of those you do not know, the uh, Kentuckiana geography is directly across the river from Kentucky. Yes. And uh, over the weekend, a uh, a horse at the uh, Ellis Park, it's just the horse track in, in Evansville, named uh, Bold and Bossy. Well-named horse. What was the one you hated? Mm, Soup and Sandwich. Good name. Yeah. yeah well, not, especially given the horse's demeanor. He, not soup and sandwich, not chips and dip or whatever it was. <laughs> so you hated sandwich. all the ones you hated. <laughs> oh, the anger Pat had towards soup and sandwich is one of my favorite Pat things ever. <laughs> if you're looking for a pod, if you if you're kind of, you know, our podcasts, we surge up during the season. Our numbers are higher now, as you naturally think. Go back and find the one where Pat right before the whenever the Kentucky Derby was. So early May, Pat did a, a good 20 minute rant on bad Bad, the worst, 10 worst or 20 worst names ever in the Kentucky Derby. He's just denigrating uh, horses that have been dead for 107 years and things like that. With conviction. With like, conviction. That was the best part of it. It wasn't just you know, like naming that, was trends. Conviction. What's some guy named his horse in 1883? <laughs> like t- times change, Pat. But anyway. Yeah, d- horses names are eternal. If they're bad in the 1890s, they're bad today. <laughs> Soup and sandwich, terrible in any era. One of our best segments ever. I don't think, I think we just laughed. So go back to that one. It's early May. I don't know what it is. Anyway, this horse, bold and bossy, escaped a race, bucked its driver, rider, not driver, NASCAR, jumped on Highway 41, which is right adjacent to the track, and then was filmed running down Highway 41 in South Indiana, Southern Indiana, with its number four on it, but no rider. What the hell's going on, Pat? The Ellis Park is technically in Henderson, Kentucky. So this is yet another Kentucky crackpot tale. Ellis Park is its own weird little kind of charming track. Uh, cheap horses, usually cheap purses. It's called the Pea Patch. They grew, used to grow soybeans in the middle. I don't know if they still do. Uh, and Bold and Bossy... Took off through Miguel Mena, wait a minute, the wait jockey, minute. threw him Hold off. On. and They uh, grew soybeans in the middle of the track. Yes, in the infield. The most Indiana thing I've ever seen. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. I like that. That's the nickname, the Pea Patch. Yes. Right. 
All right, go back. So, yes, the horse then ran over a levee and headed for US-41, briefly running alongside autos on Interstate 69. Most bizarre thing you've ever seen. Uh, they did finally apprehend the horse, fortunately not hurt. Uh, some cuts and some dehydration. But uh, Bolden Bossy made an incredible freedom dash uh, that, that ultimately did not last very long. But the, the Ellis Park, I was sent there... This is my personal Ellis Park story. 1987, I have just come to Kentucky to start working for the Courier-Journal. I know nothing about horse racing. There's not much going on in August. Ellis Park has like one big purse race a year. They sent me to cover it, figuring, well, we'll get the new guy some reps on horse racing. I go down there. I have no idea what I'm doing. I try to write the airy, atmospheric vague, featurey lead. And I showed it to a guy named Cliff Gilliams, who's like runs the track PR stuff and who used to send in stuff to the Courier Journal. He looks at it and goes, well, good luck with that one. <laughs> send, in <the> story. <laughs> send in the story. Get a call from the desk like an hour later. Yeah, we cut the first five paragraphs of that thing. Like, All right, <laughs> awesome. There's. I actually achieved my goal of not becoming a horse, a turf rider because I really didn't want to do it. Then to top to make matters even better on the way home, my car threw a piston rod, and that was the end of my 1982 Plymouth Champ. <laughs> so it was a great uh, visit to uh, the pea patch for me there. So strange <laughs> happens there. I was part of the strange, <laughs> but not as strange as this, where Bold and Bossy made a run for it. You could have used Pat's Bold and Bossy coming by as your car broke this down. Podcast. I could have. Like, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just cutting the first five paragraphs is an option for Pat Forty Tom's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was an option then. I'm 22 <laughs> years old. They can do whatever they wanted. Flowery writing. Yeah, they just wanted uh, whatever. Soup and sandwich. Yeah, they wanted to know truck. who won the race and by how much and what they paid and that sort of thing. Yeah. Imagine that. Do we think Bull the Bossy was trying to go track down the Guntown Kangaroo? <laughs> oh, oh, entirely possible. He got, I mean, entirely to the possible. interstate, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. it's the quickest way to get somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you can get on a flight. <laughs> <laughs> actually i think she was running north which is the wrong direction to find the guntown uh, kangaroo but. i mean you know details details like you think yeah. or said blinkers on you didn't know it was north or south it's interesting yeah. i am looking at this and the the horse track is on the north side of the ohio river which is supposed to divide indiana kentucky but it is actually in kentucky yeah so there you yeah. go who knows what the hell's going on down there it's an accounting trick <laughs> Well, bold and bossy, we uh, salute you for making a gun. For said, nope, I, I don't think bold and bossy is going to be running any more races either. <laughs> Much like Pat Forty was not cut out for the horse race life. <laughs> so it's screwed up on purpose at the pea pod, the pea patch, whatever you guys call it. Pea patch. Love it. Let's grow some soybeans. Just run around the soybean patch. <laughs> All right. We're going to be back Wednesday. We're going to have picks as well we will pick this week's games the race for the case will begin it's almost here the season is here and when you're watching utep north new mexico state you may wish it wasn't but who knows it's coming we're getting there talk to you guys later